You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. can have a seat. Uh, great to be together. Happy Juneteenth. Uh, yesterday, new uh, national holiday. If you're not familiar with Juneteenth, uh, it's the uh, commemoration of the end of slavery, which is a big deal, right? Uh, it's the first day of freedom for two, more than 250,000 enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, who were still in slavery a year and a half, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So uh, June 19th is commemorating uh, the, the, the Union soldiers from the North coming in and saying, hey, you guys are free now, uh, two and a half years later. And uh, so uh, this week uh, was made a national holiday, our newest national holiday as a country. So happy Juneteenth yesterday and happy Father's Day today. And uh, we love all the dads in our group, we have a special uh, gift for you. If you'd like to stand up, please, we have some beef jerky for you. And this year we have a new thing. Uh, we, have a, um, we have a vegan option. So if you want vegan beef jerky, just put a little V in the air. I'm not sure what that is, what it's made of, but it's something that's not beef. So it's vegan jerky, I guess. Tofu jerky, I don't know. Jen, I bet there's not many takers on that, but we'll see. Oh, we got it. Okay, Brock's, uh, Brock's going for the vegan. Let me know how it is, Jock. Uh, Brock, I might try it. So uh, as you guys are getting your jerky, so we, we, um, we have kind of a tradition in South Bay Church. Uh, you know, Father's Day, if you didn't know, it's always on a Sunday, right? And uh, so we always have church on Father's Day. And so we've developed a tradition over the last few years of, of having a few dad jokes on Father's Day. And if you're not familiar with the dad joke genre, I want to make, make sure you understand the dad, dad jokes, we're not going for laughs, right? We're not going for laughs. We're kind of going for groans and eye rolls, right? That's the objective of dad jokes. So you got to get the genre in your mind. Uh, there, just to give you a little scriptural context, there is a scripture uh, uh, Colossians 3:21 it says fathers do not what exasperate your children that's you notice it doesn't say anything about mothers at all it just says fathers do not exasperate your children so what that tells me is biblically fathers have a role to play in the family and that is we are we are supposed to annoy our children but not so much that they get exasperated we just annoy them a much uh, enough that they just kind of leave the nest right eventually but not so much that they're exasperated. So it's a fine art of being a dad, of just kind of getting some eye rolls, annoying them a little bit, but not so much they become exasperated. We, we love them. So uh, th that's, that's where the dad jokes come in, because that's a unique part of that role that we have to play. So I have a mentor in the area of dad jokes, uh, and that is Sean Payne. He's better than me at dad humor. If you ever hang out with Sean Payne, you know, he's always just a lot of groan-worthy and eye-roll-worthy Dad jokes. And, and, and Lisa plays the role of rolling the eyes well. <laughs> so Sean's going to come up with a few dad jokes before we jump into our lesson today. Well, thank you, Brian, for that amazing introduction. Um, I will try to live up to that reputation. You know, but, but before, uh, 
before I get started, if you don't mind, uh, did, did everyone get that alert on their phone about the kidnapping down at South High? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. But it's good because I just heard they woke him up. Hey, speaking of kids sleeping, you know, um, you know, if you can't get your kid to sleep or take a nap, would that be considered resisting arrest? <laughs> yeah, uh, speaking of napping, um, I'm actually quite talented in that area. I sleep so well that I can do it with my eyes closed. True story. Now, seriously, all jokes aside, um, I, Lisa kind of rewrote some of these for me, so you'll have to, I'm, I'm going to have to read from my script here. Um, I actually have quite a bit of Bible knowledge. In fact, I've solved one of the greatest mysteries of the Bible, the location of Solomon's temple. It's right here. Get it? Temple? You know, the Bible has lots of great instruction for life in it, and it talks to us about relationships. And where, we, where would we be without relationships, right? You know, married men, where would you be without your wives? You know, think about Boaz. Where would have he been without Ruth? Ruthless. Well, since I was supposed to be telling dad jokes, I'll end with one that is, well, actually, I'm going to throw this one in. Lisa took it out of my script, but this is for the kids. This is for the kids. Listen up, kids. You ready for this? Kids, how do you make a Kleenex dance? You put a little boogie in it. All right, last one. Sorry. All right, so... So I'll end with this one. Why do seagulls fly over the ocean? Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be called bagels. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Sean. It's an important role to play. Uh, so it's great to be together today. Uh, you know, we are still outside. I know a lot of things open up. We would definitely like to, ra we would rather be inside. So just to, so you know, we are asking and bugging and, and, and pleading. Um, the, uh, the pastor of the church here is uh, on vacation for a little bit, but when he gets back, he's trying to work it out with his board, and he kind of answers to a larger organization of the Seventh-day Adventist organization. But they're, they're trying to move in the weekend of July. Uh, they meet on Sunday, Saturday. They're trying to meet in the weekend of July 3rd. So we're praying that maybe July 4th we could meet inside, uh, the 4th of July. So if you can be praying about that, we'd like to meet inside on July 4th. We'll still have... If people want to stay outside, we will still have a TV here and speakers, and we'll have it streaming out here as well. Uh, but uh, you can be praying about that, just kind of a, a little note of housekeeping. So uh, we are continuing a series today called uh, Reading Romans Backwards. We've been looking at the book of Romans for quite a few weeks now. We started with the end of Romans and kind of some context, which I'll remind you of. And today we have arrived at, at Romans 4 strategically placed, uh, the title of the lesson today is The Father of the Faithful. We're going to be talking about Abraham, and uh, it works out that that's, it's Father's Day today. So we're going to be looking at how the story of Abraham and his faith fits into the overall 
uh, context and, and, and story of, of message of the book of Romans, what, what ties us together and what really makes us family in Christ. Uh, just to kind of give you a reminder of, of uh, where we've been and, and what Romans is all about. Remember Romans, the, the church in Rome uh, was these different house churches, 8, 10, 12 house churches. I mean, they would get pretty full, these house churches. They were big Roman homes uh, for the most part, probably that housed the house churches. And then a lot of the disciples also lived in little apartments. Uh, they had apartments back then. And there was kind of two types of people or two sort of camps in Rome, and they're roughly referred to as the weak and the strong, and you read about that, especially in Romans 14, 15, 16, kind of gives you that context, so that's why we started with that. The weak were these uh, people of, of Jewish descent who, they really started the church in Rome, but a lot of them, they all got kicked out, and then they had to come back. They didn't have positions of authority in, in Roman power, so that's part of why Paul calls them weak. Also, their consciences Paul considered them a little weak because they were over-reliant on the law. They thought that you needed to follow, a lot of them thought you still needed to be follow the law of the Old Testament and all the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, that was part of what made you right with God. And so they, they were having to grow in their faith and understanding that doesn't bring justification. Uh, that, and the problem with the weak is that they would be judgmental of the Gentile believers. Uh, they, they had a judgmentalism to them, you know, kind of that, how could they, or Oh, don't they know? Or I feel sorry for them. That was kind of tended to be their perspective towards the others. Now, the others were the strong. Paul calls them the strong. Those were Gentile believers who uh, they they didn't care about following the law. And they tended to kind of have a little bit of contempt or a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of annoyance with the, the, the Jewish believers that were concerned with all these things. Kind of like, can't they just get over it? Uh, you know, they're, they're so annoying, you know, that these, these people in our fellowship. So that there, there was these divisions that were happening in the church in Rome, and Paul's trying to pull them together and saying, we're all one in Christ. We're all uh, one in the faith. And so chapter 1 through 3, what, what, what comes right before chapter 4, we're going to look at today, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. Chapter 1 through 3, Paul is making the point that there's no difference in the human experience. We all are the same. And Red is going to be preaching about this next week, that we all need a Savior, we all sin. There, Romans 3, he says, there is no difference for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. So sin is common to all of us. Grace is needed by all of us. And faith is what unites us. Grace and faith is what unites us. It's what makes us family. And so later in the book, he gets to the practicals that we've already looked at, practicals of love and unity and how we should treat each other and what love should look like in our relationships and, and, uh, and how really we, we are, the objective is that we all gabble, gather around the table of fellowship as one family in Christ. Uh, same father, same heavenly father on earth. And we're also going to see we also have the same father of the faith, Abraham. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, he gets to talking about Abraham. The Jews really looked up to Abraham. He was their father. They all descended from him, and they were all descendants of this promise that God had made to Abraham. Uh, remember, God told Abraham, through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. And I'm going to make you, Abraham, into a great nation. Of course, Abraham at the time is an old man and has ha not had any children, and yet God gives him this promise, you're going to have a whole nation come from you. An entire nation is going to come from you. And this one nation, through you and through your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. And he says, everyone who blesses you, I will bless. Everyone who curses you, I will curse. You know, I'm on your side, Abraham. That's a pretty awesome promise. 
And so uh, the children of Abraham, the Jews, they really, they, they held on to that. And they, they saw him as their father. And so he says in Romans 4, verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? So when he says that, or again, this, is, this letter is being read by a sister named Phoebe who he sent it with. She was a deacon from the church uh, in, in Centre. And she, she is reading this letter. And so you're in this house church and you got the Jews over here and you got the Gentiles over here. When he says, the, our Abraham, our forefather, the Jews kind of perk up and go, yeah, he's our, that's our guy. And the Gentiles maybe are a little like, oh yeah, we're, we're excluded from that. But he's going to flip that and say, no, Abraham is actually a father of us all. So if you skip down to verse 11, he talks a little bit about the story of Abraham. And he says, Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is a father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also who follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What's his point? He's saying Abraham was justified and called and blessed and chosen by God before he was ever following any law. There was no law at the time, right? He, and he hadn't been circumcised yet, which was a mark of, of, the, of Jewish identity. He hadn't even been circumcised yet. But he received this promise in faith because of his faith, because of his walk with God. It was by faith. And so Paul's saying he's the father of us all. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, he's the father of all the faithful. He's the father of all of us because he was justified by faith. And faith is what made him who he was. What is faith? Faith is, in Hebrews 11, defined as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's, it's, it's that you don't have it yet. You don't know what God is doing, but you're holding on to that. And that belief, that trust, that decision to trust God affects how you live. You know, for example, he's talking here in this verse about circumcision. If, if, if Abraham would have said, I, I appreciate that, God, and I like what you're wanting to do, but the circumcision thing, especially as an old guy, that sounds really weird. I'm out. I'm not doing that. You know, that would have been his choice, but that would have not been a decision of faith. He would have not been trusting in God's promise, right? But, but instead, Abraham acts in faith. At, at one point, it says he, he called him to leave his father's household and go to a land he promised him. You know, that was, took a big decision of faith because back then, the, the way that you, you operated in, in your family is you just kind of grew up where your parents were. You took on the family business. You took on the family legacy, and you just kind of built, built, built your own little kingdom there, wherever you were with your family. So Abraham leaving his father's household, uh, uh, venturing out on his own to this new land, that was a big step of faith to do that. Uh, he, he, he had a, a, another step of faith that I just learned about from a Bama podcast, Genesis 21. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. Genesis 21, verse 33, it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God planted a tamarisk tree. So to you and I, we read that, yeah, okay, great. He planted a tree. Who cares? Whatever, you know? I don't know. I don't know what a tamarisk tree is. What, you know, what's the big deal? Why is that in the Bible? So, but, but for someone from the Near East that knows the, the botany or whatever the, of that area, it's a big deal because a tamarisk tree I learned is, it's almost, it's always planted. It's not something you just find out in nature. I mean, it, it's possible, but really rare. So it's always planted, and because it, it takes some work, it takes some cultivation, 
And the thing about a tamarisk tree is it's kind of a luxury tree. It's like it, its shade is, they say, 15% better than any of the other shade you find in the desert. I don't know what that actually means, but that's what they said. But, but it absorbs this moisture. Whatever moisture is in the air, the tree absorbs, and it's in its branches. And so it's kind of this, this cool shade that, that it provides. And it takes 80 years to grow. So if you plant a tamarisk tree, you're not planting that for yourself. That's for your grandkids, right? You're, you're, doing, you're, you're investing in the future of your legacy. So think about the context. Abraham's been given this promise, and he's, and he's trusting in God's promise. And so he goes ahead and does something that's going to be for the benefit of his grandkids. And so in the Bema podcast, they, they say that, you know, which they do a lot of rabbinical study, they say the rabbis ask the question, what tamarisk tree did you plant today? What are you doing in your day that's going to live beyond you? What investments are you making? I think we, think, we tend to think about our, our life certainly in terms of just ourselves, even the day, here and now, like today or tomorrow. But even with our faith, we tend to think about our, ourselves. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for my life? But how often are we thinking about others, you know, the bigger picture? Um, physical descendants, but even the, 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 the descendants in our church, you know, what the young people in our church, the, you know, the kids who are in our, what about their kids? What's our church going to be like for their kids? And, you know, what kind of investments will we make as a community that, that are, are part of the big picture of faith, the big story of faith? Promises of God, I want you to take home this one idea, that promises of God lead to faithful action. If you really hold on to a promise like Abraham did, it causes you to do something. That's why he planted that tamarisk tree. He goes, God says he's going to give my ancestors inheritance in this land. I'm going to plant this tree as an act of faith, an internal and external act that I'm doing that's, that's showing where my faith is. And so faith affects how we live. The promises of God affects how we live. So we're going to have some sharing from some dads in our congregation right now about some promises of God that they hold on to. And what that means for their life and what that means for their family. And I hope that as they're sharing, you'll think about the promises of God that you hold on to. And what those promises mean for your life and what they mean for your future and the, and the future of, of those who will come beyond you. So our first dad to share is going to be Fidel Martinez. Come on up, Fidel. Ah, yeah. yeah. It was a little bit too high for me. Anyway, good morning, church. How are you guys today? Good? Excellent, excellent. You know what? I was thinking about the promises of God, and um, something came to mind recently. Um, and I wish the promises of God were like this one instance where uh, actually my son, Del, he's not here today. But, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're going to have lunch. And he goes like, Dad, I ordered pizza. It's okay. You know, you don't have to, you know, cook lunch. I'm like, great. That's awesome. Wow. You know, it's feeling really encouraged. You know, he bought a really nice pizza. I don't know. He said everything on. It was really good. I go, that's great, son. Thank you so much. He goes, yeah, you know, uh, you're paying for it. <laughs> I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember you promised me that the next time I have my friend over, you will buy us pizza? So I go, so how, how am I paying for it? Well, you lent me your credit card a couple of days ago. <laughs> so, ah, okay, wow, you know. So I wish <laughs> that those premises of God would come that easy. <laughs> 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 
they don't. <laughs> I was reading uh, on a scripture, um, actually in Matthew, uh, let me see if I, we're with my notes. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Uh, it's very familiar. I mean, I'm sure you all read it before. And it uh, says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Familiar? <laughs> or about your body, what you will wear. It is it's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It says, why you worry about clothes? Why you worry about clothes? Uh, why, uh, they do not, um, see how the flowers of the field, they, uh, they grow. They do not labor or spin. And I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendors was dressed like one of these. So if this is how... God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you a little face who do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So by the time I read the last part of this promise... I've forgotten about, you know, I, I'm already focused on the promise that he will give me everything, right? Like it's, yeah, hey, he says he's going to give me clothes, food. So I'm sad, you know, I don't have to worry. I just have to have faith, you know, or something like that. But that's not what this promise is like. You know, when Jesus came into the world, I think of how God had to sacrifice his son. So in order to bring the promise of salvation to me or to us, um, God had to sacrifice his son. So there is more than just a promise. There is a sacrifice that precedes that. And I wasn't getting that out of this scripture until I focused on and underlined it. It says, but seek. And then I stopped. And I said, seeking, what does that mean? Well, that's an action, right? He says, do not worry, because if you worry, and then I thought about worrying, and I said, well, that's also an action. So you can worry or you can seek his kingdom. And I'm thinking, well, one affects the other. And I looked, uh, looked up the um, definition for worrying. It says, give, uh, worrying is give way to anxiety or unease. Allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Uh, it says, a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. So when you worry, you actually are doing something you're willingly letting your mind you know worry about things that sometimes they're not even that big of a deal so so you can do that so and God says don't do that but how do you not worry you know how how will I not worry I mean every day I think about the mortgage <laughs> you know doing the dishes uh, you know my wife reminds me <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to get these things done. But, but worrying is like a natural thing for us. We train ourselves to worry too much about things. And, and then, well, well, how do you go up about no worrying? You know, so these last words when it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will, will be given to you as well. So it takes the seeking, which is also an action, and that is to search and to willingly make yourself uh, focus on seeking something. And in this case, it's going to be God's righteousness and his kingdom. And so when I worry, one of the first things, I have two choices, obviously. So I can uh, 
worry, and by this I forfeit really the promise that God has given me, because I have to seek. And so if I worry instead of seeking, then I am not going to, you know, be able to have that promise, the, the culmination with the promise that God's given me. But if I do not worry, and instead I seek His kingdom, and, and oftentimes when we worry, some of the things that go first are you start missing church. You start missing midweeks or special events, uh, marriage retreats, and things like that. So if I do that, I worry, and I do not, I start not attending those things, um, then I'm going to be affected. And the way it affects me is like when I attend church, I have relationships that help me understand life, uh, how to be a better parent, you know, how to um, be a better husband. When we have special speakers that come and talk to us, you know, so if I worry and I don't seek, I will be filling my life with, you know, gaps where I miss church or I miss events. And I will not benefit with that promise that God's given me, which is the benefit of how to live life. And one of the benefits that I get from that is that I get the wisdom of all the brothers and sisters that have gone ahead of me. They have lived this, and they tell me that I need to keep calm when I, my son or one of my sons or two of my sons are doing something that I may not agree with. See, my first reaction would be to get emotional, but an experienced parent that, you know, has said this to me, they said, you need to keep calm. You need to understand where they're coming from and then go seek advice and then understand. And I will not be able to do that if I'm not in relationships in the church. I will miss out. So by worrying, I, I would be affecting this very culmination of a promise, which means that my life will be better if I attend church. And it's true. It is. Uh, through the year, first years of uh, my sons being uh, the teens, I had a really hard time with temper. And I had to really rein it down in order to understand my sons. And uh, we've grown in a relationship, and that's, you know, we have great friendship. But it took years of building and years of me learning this very lesson that I wouldn't have if I hadn't been around disciples at church and the brothers that have gone ahead of me. And so... You know, that promise of having a better life will come if I stay connected, you know, to these relationships. So instead of worrying, I would seek to be at church. I will seek to be in relationships, and I'll make it a point to build those. And that is how that promise of God will come to, for, uh, to fruition in my life. Um, and obviously my temptation is, so, uh, uh, you know, is to be in isolation if I worry. And that is very unwise uh, uh, to do such a thing. Um, also, uh, you know, I worry about uh, providing for my family. So at one point I had to work nights and from eight at night to six in the morning, five days a week for three years. So that is really tough. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Get your sleep. But uh, you know, on Sunday, I woke up, uh, when I, I get off of work at 6 in the morning, and I, get to, and I need to get to church at, you know, 8 or 10. So depending on the time that I needed to be there, I was not going to get any sleep. And I had to set up an alarm every, day, every Saturday to Sunday uh, to wake up, and it was so difficult. But if I did not push and seek the kingdom first, then I would not have listened to the lessons 
that are going to give me that wisdom from the Word and the relationships, again, that I will build if I was a church. So worrying about my sleep would affect me to where I want more sleep. I would probably fall asleep and not come to church. But I fought very hard to not do that. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. So there is a sacrifice that is required for a promise to be fulfilled. And I don't think that I really understood that well, actually, probably even before I read this. And it just comes to mind a lot more now when I see, you know, if you follow my teachings, then you are really my disciples, if. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the promise that I'll be taken care of comes but it starts with a sacrifice. It doesn't start just by handing me a credit card. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So it was a big lesson for me to learn as I was trying to prepare to speak today. But, you know, uh, I need to learn that that sacrifice is worth it and that the promise of God is worth it in my life. And I can tell you from experience, I would not have the relationships or even the uh, closeness to my family and sons if I didn't understand this and I keep pushing and I kept pushing to have those promises be real in my life by seeking God's uh, promises first. So I hope that this helps in some way, you know, but that's what I got out of this scripture. So thank you for letting me share. I forgot I needed to introduce my next speaker is the power of Down Raleigh up on the mic. Come on. Good morning, church. I don't know if I've ever been uh, introduced in that way before. Uh, happy Father's Day again to everyone. And um, I, I know that for some people, Father's Day can kind of be a, a bittersweet day if, you're, if your father is no longer with you, if he's passed away. And uh, I think about my, my father, Graham Rowley, and he passed away in, in 2012. And he was a great man in my life, and I, I think about him often. And I miss him. Um, he's on my heart quite a bit. So if, if that's your situation, then uh, you definitely have my, my heartfelt sympathy on, on today. But uh, anyhow, about uh, Father's Day today, I'm going to talk about Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13, uh, which is a very um, popular scripture. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Kind of ties into the scripture Fidel read in Matthew. It's a very encouraging scripture, and it's comforting to know that God's got plans to prosper us. He has a hope and a future for us. But I think a lot of times in, in our hearts and our minds, we kind of add to this scripture. We add that we're going to see these plans to prosper us happen soon, like real soon. And that we're going to see them happen in a particular way. And we can get kind of tweaked if it doesn't happen right away, and if it doesn't happen in the way that we're expecting. If you look in the wider context of the book of Jeremiah, it's, it's really clear. 
Jeremiah was writing to the Jewish exiles uh, from Judah who had been taken away to Babylon. And Babylon had conquered Judah and taken the, the people there as captives and slaves. And Jeremiah was still in Judah while he wrote this letter to the exiles. So if you pull back a little bit in chapter 29 and start in verse 10, this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years, 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know, I ha I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Can you imagine how much hope and encouragement that gave them? And this actually happened. After 70 years, King Cyrus of Persia conquered the Babylonian Empire in 539 BC. And one of the first things he did was make a decree to allow the Jewish exiles to return to Jerusalem. So God's plans for the, his people, they were fulfilled, but it wasn't soon. It was 70 years later. And most of the people who heard Jeremiah's letter had probably died by then. But their children, their children, they got to go back to Jerusalem. They got to go back and rebuild God's temple and see, um, see God's plan be fulfilled. I don't know how they were expecting that they would return to Jerusalem, but they probably weren't expecting a world superpower like the Babylonian Empire to be overthrown by another empire. Didn't see that coming. But God used King Cyrus of Persia to fulfill his promise to them. There are many other stories in the Bible where we see God's plans and promises being fulfilled in unexpected ways and unexpected times. When people, to be honest, people had started to give up on God's story for them. Uh, another really great story for today, um, Brian tagged it, is the story of Abraham. When he was 75 years old, God promised that he would make Abraham a father of many nations, and that it would be through his wife Sarah that this would happen. It didn't get fulfilled when Abraham was 76. 13 years later, Abraham was getting a little bit tired for God's plan to happen. So he went to plan B and had a child through his Egyptian slave, Hagar. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't how it was supposed to happen. It didn't actually happen until 25 years later when Abraham was 100 that Isaac was born and God's promises came true. That, I relate to that a lot because I'm not patient 
to see God's plan being fulfilled. And sometimes when it doesn't seem like it's going a certain way, I try a different way. And that usually doesn't end up well. We know in our, our lives and our personal experiences that, that this happens, that these promises, sometimes they don't happen right away, and they happen in ways we're not expecting. I became a father on April 17, 2000, when my son Isaac was born, and again on March 2, 2002, when my son Nathan was born. I remember those feelings of joy and wonder at their birth, the miracle of bringing life into this world. That was awesome. But at the same time, I was kind of like, now what? I'm responsible for raising and teaching and protecting this helpless little baby. What's that going to be like? What, what if I mess up? It's a good thing that they have a super mom, Lisa, as their mom. Everything's worked out. Isaac and Nathan, they've had their challenges, developmentally, educationally, socially. They've both been hospitalized, which is something I know no father ever wants to experience, but I know many of us have. But God's always seen them through. All the thoughts and plans and ideas I had for them 20 years ago, some of it's gone the way I thought it would, but a lot of it's been different. But I know that the plans and hopes and dreams that God has for them, they blow away what I have thoughts about, you know, what their future is going to be like. His plan is so much better. Intellectually, I know that in my mind, but sometimes it's hard for me to trust the story. I have to take the long view. There are parts of God's plans for them that are way in the future for them, and I might not even get to see it. I have to be surrendered to the shape of God's plan, what form it takes for them. Most likely, it's going to be different than what I thought. But in the end, I just need to trust God's story for them with faith and patience. I'm deeply grateful that just as God has great plans for me, he has great plans for them. Thank you. And now, Mark Sujimoto. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Thank you, uh, Dan and Fidel, for your sharing. Um, John Maxwell is an inspirational writer, and he said, image is what people think we are. Integrity is what we really are. And as some of you know, the Sujimotos are fans of baseball. We're Dodger fans. And my son Drew and I, we also collect baseball cards. So, and we, we buy and sell a little bit, too. Buying more than selling. But... Uh, Last month, we received an order in the mail, and my son Drew opens it, and he says, wow, there's a special edition Mariana Rivera in there. 
I said we're Dodger fans. Sometimes we buy other players, too. He played for the Yankees. But there was almost $200 worth of baseball cards in that box. We thought it was sent by mistake. I proceeded to tell him, I don't think we ordered that card. This would be kind of like ordering a Timex and they send you a Rolex. So I asked Drew, what do you think most people would do in this situation? He replied, they would keep it. But I asked, are we like most people? And he said, no. You know, in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, one of the things I've tried to instill in both my kids since they were little is don't be a follower, be a leader. And when I say leader, I mean, I don't mean how the world sometimes views leaders as loud, boastful, rude, or self-serving. Rather, the kind of person that leads by doing what is right, who doesn't follow the crowd, but is willing to stand up and stand out for what's right. According to Romans 12, when we allow God to transform our thinking, we begin to understand what God's will is for our lives. Maybe it's like some of you. I was a people pleaser growing up. Still am, you know, tempted to want to just make people feel good and want to fit in. I wanted so much to fit in and appear a certain way. Well, Lisa knew me from high school, so we, we, she knows my past. Um, I'm not going to go into that. But wanted so much to fit in and appear a certain way and not standing up for things that I knew were right. You know, when I was a 20-year-old college student, after Lisa invited me to church, I was studying the Bible for the first time with the guys, and they used to take me to this little hidden grass area on the campus that I was at, and I loved it because no one could see me. I didn't even know this area of the campus existed. One day, one of the brothers said, why don't we meet at the cafeteria and get lunch and do the Bible study there? So we grabbed our food, Guys plopped their Bibles down in kind of the high traffic area of the cafeteria. Now think back, this is 30 years ago. This is back when Bibles were large with gold leaf covers and on all that kind of stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't in our phones. So that's another lesson for a different day. But within 10 minutes, a friend of mine from high school walks by and says, Hey, Mark, what are you doing? And kind of questioning what I'm doing here reading the Bible because I, I didn't grow up going to church. And I was so embarrassed and ashamed of what, what I was doing. And I think about that, and it's like, you know, we don't want to be ashamed for our relationship with God or what we're doing. That's right. You know, Roy Disney, the co-founder of Walt Disney, said, when your values are clear to you, making decisions becomes easier. You know, my daughter Ryan's baptism two years ago This is one of the things I shared with her. Dear Ryan, I'm so proud of you today because today you're making the most important decision of your life. Unlike other decisions you will make in your life, this one has implications for everything in your future. I also want you to understand that this decision is not a popular one and one that most people you come across won't understand. That goes the same for all of us, right, as disciples. A lot of people, they don't understand what you're doing, but you know it's right. 
Drew said I didn't cry at uh, Ryan's baptism, so <laughs> trying to hold back the tears now. But I'm so proud of her because she, um, she's been such a great example inside the home and outside the home. And I want to close with one of the uh, quotes from a, one of the Christian blogs I, I visit, and it, he wrote this this past week. It takes courage to think alone, to resist alone, to stand alone, especially when the crowd seems so safe and so right. In those times, we have to remember who God is. Keep flying high like an eagle, far above the glue that snares the rest of the crowd. Up there, it doesn't just seem safe and right, it is safe and right. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to have uh, the most powerful brother here, Rico. Come shy. I do mean powerful, physically, but also uh, spiritually. A great dad. Okay, here we go. All right, can you guys hear me? I don't want to break this thing. All right, we're good? Okay, I'm here to speak briefly about, briefly, about trusting when God says he's always going to be there for you. And the scripture, first scripture I'm going to read is from Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And I read that scripture, and it's very inspiring me because me, I always had a conviction that when God says something, he never breaks his word. That's something I, I always carry with me no matter what I'm going through, right? And I can break my word. You know, I can say something for my kids and they remind me, hey, you told me you're going to do this and you didn't do it. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right. That takes humility. But when God says something, he doesn't waver. See, we allow situations to have us waver. We study out the scripture. We get baptized. We say, Jesus is Lord. We're inspired. We're motivated. We want to go out and make disciples. And then something comes our way that we weren't prepared for. And then we go from that solid foundation and we start to ease over into the sand. And the, stand, the sand is not where stability is. See, when we, when we ease over into the sand because of our fears and our doubts, we start to waver in our faith. But God is always stable. No matter what we're going through, God is faithful. It's us. We allow situations to affect our faith in him. And I know when COVID hit, a lot of us probably stepped into that sand and didn't even realize it. We were just struggling to survive. How are we going to get through? When, when COVID hit me, it's like I have my own personal training business. I do some, I've been blessed to do some acting and film and things of that nature. And all the gyms shut down. All the studios shut down. So I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected for 2020. But, you know, I went through something earlier in my life. Um, I'll read this. I went through something earlier in my life where God kind of, kind of rattled me. When I was married and I, had, and I went through a divorce, and God used the divorce to test my faith and refine my character. And one of my favorite scriptures is this one, which my brother read. 
It's in Matthew 6, I'll start in verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about what your body, what you will wear. And then I go down and it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If I'm worried about these things, I'm not seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm still a disciple no matter what I'm going through. I'm called to make disciples no matter what else is going on in the world. I'm called to go out and preach God's word and share his word. I'm called to be an impact. I'm not called to shrink back because of the situation I'm in. Because God tells me, hey, don't worry about that. So therefore, if I shrink back, am I doubting God now? Am I, am I assuming he's not going to be there? He didn't, he's not breaking his word to me. God will never break his word to you. If, if, if someone, I'm a father, and I relate this, that if this God of ours will send his son down when we didn't even recognize him to be beaten and humiliated and die for us, what, then he's going to turn his back on us when we're faithful? He's not. But when times come, sometimes we say, hey, God, this is horrible. And we pray for the time to pass. And it doesn't. Then we start to waver. And God saying, no, you got to sit in this a little longer. Do you know why you got to sit in it? Because you haven't learned what I'm trying to teach you right now. Because if you don't learn it now, you're going to find yourself in the same situation. I'm trying to teach you something. Come close to me. Come spend time with me. I told you I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you doubting me now? I sent my son to die for you. You studied out the word. You have the same Holy Spirit that Paul has. You have the same Holy Spirit that Peter has. Go out and impact the world. I'm the same God in Deuteronomy, and I'm the same God in Matthew. I haven't changed. I made you a promise. I'll never break my promise. And we went in COVID, and, and I know some people who wavered. I struggled some, but I learned from my divorce when I had to really go lean on him. He refined my character, and it was a hard time for me. But every day during COVID, I went down to the beach and I said with God daily. And I looked at the ocean and I spent time with him because I knew he was going to see me through it. You know, and lo and behold, he saw me through it like he promised because he doesn't break his promises. So no matter whatever you're going through, just know God never breaks his promises, guys. If you're going through something right now, God is not going to break his promises. He loves you. That's not that's not to be taken lightly. But no matter what you're going through, we call it to go making disciples. Go study God's word. Right? You understand what I'm saying? We're called to go make disciples. We're not called to shrink back. He told us to be strong and courageous. Fear is not showing a lot of courage at that moment, is it? You're kind of fearful. You're shrinking back. When you're courage, you're kind of going to come forward. Like when David did with Goliath, that was an example of courage and trusting God, right? When the soldiers were shrinking back, David stepped forward and impacted. You understand? We're called to step forward and be impactful. I just want to thank you for letting me share. Hopefully that was very brief. <laughs> I just want to thank you guys. And I encourage you to trust God at his word. He never breaks his word. God cannot tell a lie, guys. So no matter what you're going through, dig into God's word. And if you got to sit through it a little longer, sit through it because he's teaching you something. He loves you. He's refining your character for something later so you can be impactful. Thank you. Good job, Rico. If you want to see Rico's acting work, uh, Battleship the movie, he's in that one. <laughs>
<laughs> He's awesome in that one. Um, but uh, appreciate all the brothers sharing. I want to before we uh, pray for communion. I want to read uh, where we left off in Romans four. If you want to read that with me, Romans four sixteen. Again, Paul writing about Abraham says, "Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed." Don't you like a guarantee when you buy something or when you, you know, this is a guarantee. Guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of what? Us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That's the God we serve. The God that gives life to the dead, the God that raised Jesus from the dead. And when Abraham was tested, uh, he, he reasoned that God can give me my son back from the dead if it comes to that. You know, God can do anything, right? And calls into being things that were not. So even if you don't see it now, even if you can't see, I can't imagine God's promise coming true. It, it, that's who God is, right? He, he, he created everything out of nothing. He created the entire universe out of nothing. We've got to be reminded of that sometimes because sometimes our problems or our issues or our difficulties loom so large. And I appreciate how the brothers all reminded us of God's promises and how we can rely on those. It's a guarantee. That same promise to Abraham is now a promise to us that I'm going to bless you, that I'm going to be with you, that I'm going to walk with you, that I'm going to use you, that all nations will be blessed through you. Through us, the church, God will bless the nations. And uh, as we take communion, uh, Pat is going to sing a song for, for us that's based on uh, Genesis 22, which is uh, when, when Abraham is tested. Uh, it's the very next chapter after he planted the tamarisk tree. And uh, it, it was a story that uh, was told in Kids Kingdom, if you want to rewind this video and watch the story there, uh, of the testing of Abraham. But the, the main message of that story is that God will provide. Because remember I talked about how God's promise leads to our faithful action, but even in our action, in our faithful action, we always fall short, right? And, and so even in that, God always provides. God's provision is always there throughout the whole journey. And so communion is a time to be reminded of that provision, reminded of how God provided the lamb for Abraham. God provides the lamb for us in Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So as we're on this journey of faith, as we're children of Abraham, heading towards those promises that God will always provide for us along the way. So let's pray for communion, and uh, then we'll, we'll share that song together after a moment of reflection. God, thank you for this time to be together, to share communion together. Pray for those who are worshiping with us over the live stream that they could share in, in this moment of communion together as we remember Jesus' body and blood given for us. And just as it was said back then, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Um, it has been provided for us on the mountain of the Lord. Jesus sacrificed for us on, on Mount Calvary uh, so that we can have a right relationship with you forever and, uh, and be together forever as the family of God. Uh, bless this time of remembering Jesus' body and blood. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.